0: So I know like four weeks from today you guys are gonna be still thinking, He told me to go. But I ran. So see. Gonna have that down, right? It's just there implanted into your minds. Well, it's uh ooh, um, excited to to continue sharing with you guys as we move into second chapter of Jonah. Uh, I was given a a gift this week, my brother gave it to me, just so you guys can share in the great pleasure of more jokes. Um, This was the gift, the daily dose of dad jokes, and you'll see under there, I don't know how well you can see it, you've been warned. So the last few uh, days I've been reading several jokes, and at the top you'll see 365 truly terrible wisecracks. And I can say, after reading at least halfway through the books, there's probably at least 340 terrible wisecracks in here. So uh, we're going to pick some of the better ones, and I will um, share with you at least some of the Thanksgiving ones. Uh, That is one of the nice things, because it's done throughout the calendar year. I can kind of look in November and and figure out a a Thanksgiving one. So here you go. What smells the best at a Thanksgiving dinner? Well, typically it's your nose. (laughs) See, they're terrible, aren't they? They really are terrible. Yeah, in fact, my family asked me to stop making jokes around the table at our Thanksgiving dinner, but I couldn't stop cold turkey, so. so. There you go. That's just, uh, you know, kind of like those wah, 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 you know, something like that afterwards, right? All right, well, enough of that. We are moving forward into Jonah, something far more appropriate and exciting for this morning. Um, You're here because God wants to shape your heart. Uh, he's given us his word because he wants to shape our heart. We have a heart that um, tends to want to do its own thing. It can get hard. It can get calloused. And, and God lovingly, graciously continues to chip away at us and work on us. And that's what he does with Jonah. And so one of the things I hope you'll hear us say more and more, uh, and hope you'll hear me say more and more, is that God is here to transform you and not your circumstances, Sometimes we go into faith thinking, oh, he's going to change my circumstances around me and transform those. But the reality is sometimes he leaves those circumstances so that you can continue to be transformed and changed. He is here to transform you, and hopefully you're here to be transformed rather than have God change your circumstances. Well, that's certainly something we see all throughout the book of Jonah. Again, God gives grace and compassion and gentleness and kindness and all those things to Jonah and to Nineveh, and it's important for us to capture that as we move forward. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Now, there may be a question in some people's mind, especially when you go into the New Testament, and we looked at this last week, and it says, as Christ or Jesus will be in the grave for three days and three nights, you might say, oh, well, maybe Jonah actually died While he was in the fish and then was resurrected. Well, that's not the case if this verse is true. And I think this verse is true. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He was awake, he was alive in the belly of the fish. Now you may say, how is that even possible? Can that happen? And certainly there are people that will draw up all kinds of arguments as to yes, it could, maybe it did I don't know. But I will tell you this, a God who can create the whole world can easily create a fish for Jonah to live inside of for three days. Okay, that's not that hard to believe. If you believe a God can create you and can create the world, he can create a fish that Jonah can live inside of. Now, whether it was a well, a special well, or a special fish, I don't know, but it happened. And so from inside the belly of the fish, our great God created something that Jonah can live in and appointed a fish. And we're told that very specifically in chapter 1. He appointed a fish to swallow Jonah. So from the belly of this great fish... He prays. Now, up to this point, I want to take a look and just kind of recap where we've been so far. But Jonah has made a decision to disobey God. First and foremost, God calls, or the Lord calls Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. And Jonah has a decision to make. He can either follow through or he can say no. And he says at the beginning, no, I'm not going to do that. And so he decides to disobey God and makes that decision to disobey God. Then he goes down, intentionally he purchases a a ticket to Tarshish. I think that's important, and one of the reasons it's brought out there is that this was a planned uh, escape. It wasn't like he was just walking down like, yeah, I think I'll go do that. No, he planned this escape. He went down to Tarshish, he bought a ticket, and then he gets on the ship, and as he goes out into the Mediterranean, this raging storm comes in, and he puts himself and the crew in danger. Now, we know it's a sovereign God, and we know that he's providential, and the crew really wasn't in danger from that point of view, but it certainly looked like it as you read the story. Then Jonah is thrown overboard into the storm. And you might think, well, that, that, at that point, if I was Jonah, I would think, okay, that's, that's it. My life's done, right? You can go and uh, look, and you might find this interesting. Like, how, how long can you stay alive if you're thrown overboard? So, I did do a little bit of research this week, and this is the Mediterranean, a staff that shows the Mediterranean Sea and maybe the temperatures that it would, it would have. At the low end, uh, when the coldest time of the year, it'd be about sixty degrees, and at the upper end, it'd be about eighty. So it actually swings quite a bit. Most likely, um, if you're going to take that long of a voyage from Joppa all the way to Tarshish, you're going to be going into the late spring or into the summer months, where there's less chance of a big storm like this to happen. So it's likely that actually the temperature was was kind of nice when you got thrown into it. Now it's still raging around, you know, big waves and all kinds of things because it's a storm, right? Um, and you probably weren't thinking, hey, I'm just going to go out here and swim for a little while. So either way, as he was thrown overboard, he had to tread water for, and we don't really know this, for an unknown amount of time. Maybe he went down right away, maybe it was several hours, uh, we don't really know, but eventually what we do know is Jonah was swallowed by a fish, a great fish, a fish appointed by God to swallow Jonah. I think it's safe to say that jo- Jonah suffered some trauma in life. Right? I mean, you think through all those events, you're like, hey, I don't know, you know exactly how long the time frame was here, but those are a lot of events happening one right after the other. After a while, you're starting to think, man, there's a lot going on in Jonah's life, some serious trauma going on. So how does He respond to it? And that's what we're going to be taking a look at. Now, just a few things before we jump into the the following verses. Verses 2 through 7, I think this is important, are mainly written in past tense, as though it's happened. And then verses 8 through 9 are present tense. I think there's something significant there, especially when you get into verse 8, and that is that there's a, a transition. It's like, here's what's happened in my life and now it's led me to do this for the rest of my life, okay? So that's, that's kind of what happens as you look through the following verses, verses 2 through 7, and then verses 8 through 9. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the text together. Father, we want you to teach us today, this is, this is your word it's not ours, it's yours, and so as we cry out at times, Lord, speak to us, you already have, and it's given to us right here, and we have it, and it's, it's true, and we believe it, and we know that it, it pierces our hearts, and it teaches us, it convicts us, it challenges us, it transforms us. And so we come to you, and we ask you, God, change us to be more like your Son. Let me pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, verse 2 of chapter 2, it says this, I called to the Lord in my distress, and He answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol, which Sheol in the Old Testament is oftentimes like the grave. So I think the idea here, he's thinking, hey, I'm, I'm dying. I, I cry out right, from deep inside Sheol, and you heard my voice. Now, you're going to see some things highlighted here. You heard. I'm going to be pointing to what, what God's response is here. So, as, da, as, excuse me, as Jonah is, is, you know, drowning, basically, he says, I know you heard my voice. And then he goes on, he says, you threw me into the depths. So, he points to God and says, I know you threw me into the depths. I was disobedient, and you did that, into the hearts of the seas and the currents, they overcame me. So here he's just kind of drawing this picture, right, of, of, of being out in the ocean, and the waves are coming over him. Your breakers and your billows, they swept over me, and I was fighting for life, trying to tread water. I, I, was, I was trying to gasp for air, and then I was crying out to God. And then I said, I've been banished from your sight. Ever felt like that? Like you're, you're drowning in whatever's going on around you, and then it almost feels like God has even banished you at times. I think it's interesting that Jonah knew who was really in control. He could easily go back in this story and say, you know, God, I look at my situation and I think to myself, okay, I did this. I did it to myself. And in some ways he did. He certainly brought it upon himself. His disobedience brought it on him. But he ultimately knows that God was in control. God's the one that brought the the storm. God's the one that caused the sailors to know that it was actually Jonah who was at fault. God's the one who appointed this great fish to come and swallow him. He knew God was really in control. Sometimes we realize that Early on, and sometimes we realize that later in life. It is far greater to realize it earlier in life than it is to understand it later. It took Jonah a little while to get it. If you continue on in verse 4, it says, I've been banished from your sight, yet, and there's your transition at least to this point, I will look. Now, here's your one kind of present tense here I will look. Once more towards your holy temple, verse 5, the water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. So he's describing this, this trauma that he just went through, this traumatic event. Okay, you're out there. Anybody have a great fear of drowning? It's usually, if you say, okay, what's your fear of, of dying? It's drowning or fire, okay? Yeah, one of the two, right? So, like, which one of those would you prefer? One puts the other out, so um, both works. Yeah, no. So here he is. He's drowning. He's, he's gasping for air. Seaweed's wrapped around his hair, head, so you can you can. You hear this this fight going on, right? He says, "I sank to the foundation of the mountains." Kind of that picture of the mountains peak out of the water, and if you continue down, you get to the bottom at the the, bo- uh, the bottom of the mountain, and that's where the water comes in, and so forth. So, if the foundations of the mountains and the earth's gates shut behind me forever, kind of that idea of being banished, he feels like God's departing from him. Then you raise my life up from the pit, Lord, my God. It was at that moment, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. And I find that interesting there, and here's why. As I've read through this several times, um, this one really stood out to me this time, and that is, is this. When you look back at Jonah's story, and I'll just go back to the time he was in the bottom of the ship and the storm was raging outside, and the captain comes, and the captain wakes him up and says, Jonah, how could you be sleeping? Don't you see or feel the waves crashing in? Don't you understand that we're going down? And he could hear the crew, and I'm sure they were yelling and screaming, and they were throwing cargo overboard. Why at that moment didn't he stop and repent? Why didn't he remember the Lord at that moment, and worship him. And then when he comes up to the deck, and they're there talking, and they cast the lots, and then they find out, hey, it's Jonah. We we think it's him. And Jonah says, yeah, it's me. And he, he confesses. He owns up to it. He takes responsibility. Why at that moment didn't he repent when he knew it was God that was chasing him? And then he's thrown overboard. And then he's fighting for his life. Why did it take his life fading away from him to finally remember the Lord? Is that just a good indication of how stubborn his heart really is? How stubborn can our hearts be at times? When God asks us to do something and we don't want to do it, we don't want to follow him, when we want to go our own way, and so we fight against God Do we have to go all the way to our deathbed before we finally submit to Him? I hope that's not the case. I hope that we respond quicker than that we, we actually listen when God says to do something and we follow Him. So let's not be a Jonah in this case. Well, as you move forward, and certainly up to this point too, we see that Jonah knew what to pray, and he knew what to pray because he knew God's Word it talks in here that he, he was praying, and what's interesting as you begin to look at it, you can go back to Psalm chapter 42 and see that he stole a lot of his prayer, maybe not still, but he, he went back to Scripture and he, he just simply verbalized what David wrote beforehand. Look at some of it. This is just a snippet, and you can go back and look at Psalm 42 at some point if you like. But it says this, I am deeply depressed, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Hermon from Mount Mitzur. So kind of a, a similar idea, but look at verse 7. Deep calls to deepen the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your billows have swept over me. And you can read more, and he talks about this description of how there too David felt like he was drowning. Unfortunately, David ends with this verse, why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise Him, my Savior and my God. And he turns his attention back to God. And that's great because Jonah also does the same thing. You know, Scripture does that for us. God's Word does that for us. I think that's why this was written. Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Well, it's by keeping your Word. I have sought you with all my heart. This is David writing again. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. David understood that he needed to keep God's word in his heart so that when sin comes or temptation comes, he can record or repeat excuse me, Scripture and say, no, I'm not going to do that because God's told me not to do that. And Jonah understood that, and so Jonah, when he was younger, he was learning, he was memorizing God's Word, and he probably sang many of the Psalms, and he would have known the Old Testament. Of course, the New Testament wasn't written yet in his time, so he wasn't familiar with Christ, but he would have known everything up to that point, and he would have studied it. he was a prophet, he was a teacher. And so he knew it, and he cries out this psalm because it was treasured in his heart. There's another interesting passage I want to draw your attention to. You might be familiar with it. Jesus had the opportunity. Jesus was tempted, had the opportunity to sin, though he, being God, could not. Check out what he does here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he, Jesus, answered, It is written. He goes back to the Old Testament. It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes Scripture. He knew the word. It helps when you are the Word, but in this case, he knew the Word. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And here's something interesting. The this devil, Satan, quotes Scripture. This is a good point. Satan knows Scripture. And he knows how to twist it. And that's what he does here. He will give His angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And so he, he twisted This was written as a different time, a different prophecy for something else. And Jesus says, hold on, it is written, do not test the Lord your God. So again, He uses God's Word to go against Satan. And one last time, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all things if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus told him, Go away, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began to serve him. See, like Jonah, Jesus knew Scripture. And when he needed it, He could recall it. There's a great lesson in there for you and for me. And that is that we too need to know Scripture so that when we need it, we can recall it. We often like to turn to all kinds of different ideas and thoughts or we might go to the next bestseller out there. We might go to a podcast. We might listen to a message. And all those things can be very helpful. I I give messages. So hopefully, you know, it, it encourages people. But it doesn't replace God's word. And this ought to be the high priority in our lives. We ought to be learning it. We ought to be studying it. We ought to be teaching it. It's the word of God. And it trumps everything else out there because it's his word. And so that's why we need to hide it in our hearts. That's why we need to treasure it in our hearts so we refer back to it and not try to rewrite it Not try to change it, but just take it as it is, the Word of God. Now, Jonah had a couple options at this point. He recognizes God. He recognizes He's in control. He sees that He's he's drowning and all types of things. He could have done one. He could have gotten angry. And sometimes that's the way we get. When, When things start to fall apart around us, when we get into a situation or a circumstance and we don't like it. And then we call, we call out to God, transform this circumstance, change this circumstance, and God's like, hey, I'm going to change you instead. And then we might get angry, or we don't like it. So he could have gotten angry at the Lord, or he could have repented and worshiped God. He had several times, several points up to this time where he could have repented, and he chose not to. But now, as his life is fleeing from him, he remembers the Lord and he chooses to repent. So verse 8, it says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. He starts off and he remembers back, and this is used even in Psalms, it's used in a couple other places in Scripture, where it'll draw this contrast It says, the world will go after themselves, the world will, will go after a God or go after some sort of other philosophy and ideal and all these types of things, but we serve the one true God. And we know in our culture today, it's really clear, what is our other God? At least I think it's clear, because I see it all the time when when my kids watch something in, in the entertainment world today, because everything out there for children on up to adults is about believing in what? Yourself. I'm the worthless idol, me, myself, and I. That's what our world is teaching and preaching and trying to get in all of our heads. We turn to ourselves when we have an issue rather than turn to God. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. I'm listening to more and more songs out there coming over the radio, and I'm hearing things like, I'm learning to love myself, I'm learning to care for myself, I want to like myself, all these types of things. It's very interesting how psychology says narcissism is bad, and yet we have a whole entertainment world that says we need to learn to love ourselves and believe in ourselves. It's kind of conflicting, right? But that's our worthless idols that we have. Fortunately, Jonah didn't turn to those worthless idols. Verse 9, he says, But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the vow that he's fulfilling isn't the vow, at least up to this point, he didn't say he would go to Nineveh, but he did say, I will trust in God. He did say, I will follow God, at least earlier in his life when he became a prophet and he followed God, he said, I will trust in him. So he's saying, I will fulfill that vow, which leads you to believe he's going to go to Nineveh if God were to save him from the belly of the fish. He recognizes two things here that as he sacrifices, he needs to do it with thanksgiving, and he recognizes too that salvation belongs to the Lord. The only one who can save him, at least in this situation, is himself. Now, go back in time. He thought to himself, hey, God wants me to go to Nineveh, no problem, I have a solution to that, I'm going to board a ship and I'm going to go the opposite direction. He tried to take matter into his own hands. God sends this great storm... Okay, no problem. I don't want these, these sailors to die. Why don't you just throw me overboard? I'll die. I'll be the only one that dies in this scenario, and, and maybe God will save you guys. Okay, there you go. I, I took matter into my own hands. Well, now he's in a fish. And he's probably just as surprised as you are that he's in a fish. And he's alive in a fish. Right? Who can save you when you are sitting inside of a fish? Salvation belongs to no one but the Lord at that point. And you may find yourself in a situation where you finally have to say, no one can save me except God. And that's what Jonah realizes. I will fulfill my vows because salvation belongs to God to the Lord verse 10 then the lord commanded the fish and yes it threw up it vomited jonah onto dry land probably with stomach juices and all i know that's gross but let's be real right that's for what happened so he was saved he was brought out and i think the big idea that we get from all of this is simply this Low points in life create great opportunities for thanksgiving. Jonah got to a, a, a low point in his life that he had nowhere to look but to God, and he could look back at all the things in his life, and he could be angry at God. He could be frustrated. He could still say, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Fine, just let me be digested here. But with thanksgiving, he points back to God, and he says, no, God, I will do what I have committed myself to. I will fulfill my vows. Salvation belongs to you. And he does that with thanksgiving. And I think there's a great point for us, and it just happens to be on our Thanksgiving weekend, that we too, when we're in our lowest point, we can turn our attention away from our circumstance of misery, of discontentment, and instead be thankful. Something that God's been working just in my heart in this last year, maybe the last couple years, but it's really just come to the surface a lot more this last year is this verse, Philippians chapter 4 verse 6. It says, don't worry about anything but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And so you've heard me, I'm sure, quote this by now or refer to it at some point. And it's really easy at the beginning to say, okay, don't be anxious or don't worry about anything, but instead pray and, and share your petitions. But the key part to this verse is that that phrase there with thanksgiving and there are many times where I've just read over the verse and not seen that with thanksgiving how do you fight off anxiety you fight it off with thanksgiving you change your attitude from being discontent and grumbling and moaning and complaining to god i'm going to be thankful for this i'm going to be grateful for you and what you've done. And that begins to turn the tide. In my own prayers lately, I've been asking God to forgive me for being discontent because I can easily become discontent. And I'm asking that He'll help fill my prayers with thanksgiving. Because I do think that's key. And so it leads me to this, and I'm going to do like almost, it's going to blow your mind. I'm going to do two big ideas. This isn't so much a big idea as much as just a point. I think it's worth saying that we ought to fill our prayers with God's greatness rather than your discontentment. Fill your prayers with God's greatness rather than your discontentment. I can easily come to God in my prayers and talk about all the things that I'm not happy with and ask God and throw my petitions out there and all my prayers out there and say, God, can you change this? Can you fix this? Can you make this go away? When in reality, I need to be thankful for what he's already done and maybe what he's doing in my life to change those things. And that's what Jonah does here. He finally gets to a point where he's so low in his life, where he's actually dying, and he gets to a point, he says, God, I'm going to be thankful because you haven't killed me yet. I'm going to be thankful because you gave me a second chance. Salvation belongs to you. We're going to have a time to respond here. I want to ask you two questions as you think about these things. One, have you ever said to the Lord, you're in charge of my life? And if not, would you say it now? And that can mean a couple different things, but one certainly can mean, have you ever actually given your life to Christ and said, you know what, you are my Lord Not just, oh, I think this would be nice, or I'll just try this out for a little while. Yeah, I'll come to church. I'll do the churchy thing, and I'll read the Bible a little bit and ask some questions. Have you actually gotten to a point where you've said, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. You are my master. You are the one who's in control of my life. If you haven't, would, would you say that? Are you willing to say that? Are you willing to submit your life to him and truly follow him and say, yes, he is my Lord and my Savior? think about that. If you can honestly say, no, I've never done that. I don't know if I could follow God. I don't know if I could follow Jesus. Then, and you want to know more about that. What does that look like? How does that happen? Then I would love to talk to you more about that. You can find me at the end of the service. Uh, you can talk to me throughout the week. You can talk to Pastor Luke about that. You can talk to one of the leaders, some of the ones that serve communion today. We would love to share that, or maybe somebody who invited you here, and we'd love to share with you. About how you can know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Secondly, this is a a practical application you can work on here for the next few minutes. Write out seven difficult things you're thankful for, one for each day of the week. So, this is one that I decided I would go ahead and and do and share with you guys because it may not make much sense, but I thought, well, if I give you some examples, maybe that'll help a little bit. So, one, one, I would say for me, that's a difficult thing to give thanks for, is criticism. Uh, by nature, I'm more of a, a people pleaser, and a lot of people will go, yeah, I'm a people pleaser, too, okay. So, we're all in the same boat there. And we don't like to, to have people be critical of us, because when people are critical of us, it feels like we're not pleasing them well, or we take it very personal, a lot of things like that. So, I want to be thankful for criticism because it keeps me humble and dependent on God. If, if there isn't criticism out there, I can begin to be comfortable with who I am. Like I begin to think that, hey, I've got this life figured out. People really do like me. And then I get proud and arrogant and all those kind of things. And so I need to be humbled from time to time. Another one, my aging body. I was thinking about this week because this week I was like, man, i got a lot of like aches and pains and all those types of things, right? But here's why. Okay, you might go, why would you be thankful for that? And here's why. Every time, at least for me, not every time, but a lot of the times when I think about my aching body, I think about the future and glorification and being in heaven and how wonderful that will be. Some people are afraid to die. Um, Now, I do not want to say goodbye to my loved ones, my responsibilities, all that kind of thing, but I will tell you that I have great hope in what is to come, and I can't wait for that. To walk in heaven, I'm hoping that I can like finally dunk when I get to heaven, you know? Like, I can finally hit a golf ball. Oh, no, I don't, I don't. It, we're going to be worshiping, we're going to be so content and so excited that I don't think any of those things really matter anymore. But our bodies will be glorified. And sometimes when I have those aches and pains, it reminds me of what is to come. Um, I am thankful, third one, I'm thankful for opinionated children. Um, and it's not to say that, that they're overly opinionated. I'm not saying that at all. I'm, I, could, I could put that with anybody, opinionated people in the church, right? they all like, ooh. Um, I could be thankful for that. And the reason is it keeps me sharp, right? If people have opinions, it's my job to convince them they're wrong and I'm right, right? That's, no, it, does, it, keeps, it keeps me sharp. It keeps me thinking. It keeps me wondering, asking the questions that I need to ask, and, and asking the question, why do I have this opinion? Is it right? So, I, I'm, I'm thankful for opinionated people. I could put that in there. Um, I'm thankful for, number four, failure. And that was hard for me to say because I, like, I don't like failure. In fact, a lot of these I don't like, but they do something, right? So, failure because it teaches me patience and perseverance. Um, I think... When you fail, and and typically when when I fail, I usually think about, I'm kind of like a tinker. I kind of call myself a tinker in some ways uh, because I like to just play around with things and I like to come back to it. And if it failed, then I'll come back to it again. And that's kind of the perseverance part. But um, it does teach me patience and perseverance. And there are times when I'm working on something that I get extremely frustrated, extremely impatient, and I have to remind myself, breathe and be patient and persevere. Failure will teach me those things. Uh, Five, I'm thankful for an imperfect marriage. Uh, I don't like it. I would like a perfect marriage, right? But I'm thankful for an imperfect one. And the reason why is it's easy to get comfortable again in life. It's easy to start to think that, oh, I've got this figured out. What's really good for me is actually doing some marital counseling at times because as I do marital counseling and I come back, I'm like, I see a little bit of myself in that as well. And it challenges me to say, hey, I need to surrender to Christ more. I need to follow him. I need to be more obedient to him. I need to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And I've told a lot of guys that. You need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. I'm like, man, I need to do that same thing. So an imperfect marriage teaches me that I am a work in progress. Uh, number six, this one you'll probably laugh at, but um, I am thankful for failed internet connection. yeah it happens from time to time. Um, and the reason is, okay, it's part of another reason. The reason is it reminds me how worldly I am. And I'm not, this is not my home. I can be going through my life and I can be like, oh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. And then I lose internet. And I'm like, oh, man. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's how worldly I really am. So, it reminds me how worldly I am. And it. I think, again, it humbles me and puts my Puts me right back where I need to be. So, um, Number seven, I, I appreciate and I'm thankful for a God who disciplines me. Um, a God who lets me get away with anything really doesn't love me. It's like a parent who lets their child get away with everything and just says, oh, I just you know, I want you to be happy and do everything you want to do. Uh, if God did that to us, then we too would be probably more miserable. It just doesn't work. And so God does what's good for us and what's right for us, and He disciplines us, and that shows that He loves us and cares. I don't like God's discipline. I don't like failed internet connections. I don't like the imperfect marriage or failure or people with other opinions different than mine. Um, I don't like my aging body, and I don't like criticism. I don't like all those things, but they're all helpful, and I'm thankful for them because it helps me become more like Christ and transform me. So, I'm not in the belly of a fish like Jonah, but I've got plenty of things going on around me that help shape and make and mold me, and you do too. So, what is it in your life? What are seven difficult things you're thankful for that God is using to transform you and change you? Think about those for the next couple of minutes, so you can write them down if you'd like to, or maybe you'll think through them uh, out this week, and then we will close with some prayer and some singing. Again, you'll be invited to come up and pray uh, if you'd like to here on both wings, and people will be there to pray with you.